0: Welcome back to the Lawali Life Podcast. I'm your host, Alice Law, and this podcast is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields, talking about the greatest stresses and losses and challenges they've had to overcome, and how they came back from them, with tips and inspiration from how you can come back through yours. I talk mainly about stress and loss in this podcast and focus largely on stress because It's a fate we all share to go through stress and to experience loss. So I want to bring you amazing speakers from around the world to share with you their inspiring stories to make you realize that we can all come through our own and there are little tiny things we can do every day to keep us at our best. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by the wonderful Celia Litvin. Celia is the psychologist, founder and CEO of PsychApps developer of the multi-award winning EQ, the Emotional Fitness Game. Her textiles portfolio company uses gamification and psychology to help people to help themselves. It was so interesting talking to her about not only this, but her journey herself from model psychologist to developer of this, as well as her own personal journey of mental health and her most recent struggle with postpartum anxiety. We touched on loads of different things and some things we really haven't discussed before on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy this heart opening and eye opening conversation. It's so amazing to have you here today. Thank you so much for deciding to come on, I'm so excited to talk to you all about everything you do with you know AI and mental health and your app and just it's so interesting so thank you firstly for joining Um, but secondly you know I just would love to start before we do any of that is just to find out about your story of how you first even began to be interested in the human condition because I always think that's such an interesting start for people how they become interested in that side of life you know (laughs) where did it start for you?
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on your show as well and, you know, spread out some of the knowledge and love that comes with mental health um, and mental health care. Um, I actually, I kind of have an origin story, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of cool to, to tell the stories because it's been a part of my life for so long. But when we were kids, we moved around a lot. So I was born in Germany. Then when we were to move to the States. When I was nine, we moved to Luxembourg. Then we moved to Germany. And so I had been exposed to lots of different cultures and languages um, at uh, quite an early age. And for me, life was very chaotic, unpredictable, unforeseeable. And I always felt a little bit um, exposed to it without a lot of control, which as a kid, I guess, is kind of your feeling anyway. You don't have a lot of control over your life. But my sister for her birthday, she's my older sister, got a book about body language. And I remember it like she was like, oh, thanks. And she put it to the side and I opened it up and it blew my mind that there was a science that could teach people how to understand other people and yourself and the behaviors and emotions that, that came with it. And that was pretty much, I was 12 years old when I said, I want to become a psychologist when I'm older. And I guess I'm um, very lucky because the more I learned about psychology, the more interesting I find it um uh, and intriguing and um worth my time like you know that venn diagram when you find something that's what you're good at that allows you to make a living and that brings joy to the world like ikigai that's my ikigai so ever since I was um 12 I've I've wanted to be um psychologist and um work in mental health Well, I mean, 12 is
0: young to like realize that. That's amazing, isn't it? Because I find a lot of people in either, you know, the mental health or wellness space that kind of has come from something a bit later that they then, you know, had a journey with or decided. And to know that when you were 12, that's really, really amazing. Did you have any kind of, you know, doubts and decide suddenly I want to be, you know?
1: I don't know an astronaut or something at the same time. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, sort of. So um, when I was 16, I was, um, I was scouted in H&M to become a model, and I was I went home like, Mom, I've been asked to join this agency, and she's like, Over my dead body. <laughs> so she was <laughs> not for it. I was like okay, and then but I was scouted again when I was 18. And then she couldn't say no, right, because I was an adult. So I did 17 years of international traveling as a model. And um, for a while, I think I got quite sidetracked, you know, because it is exciting for a young woman to be traveling and, you know, making money like that and and all all the exciting things that come with it. But towards the end of my career, I was thinking – it does become repetitive and a little bit empty with time right when you've been there done that and you know it's it's quite the same and if it's not your absolute passion, then you know you start looking for something, and that's when I, I kind of found my way back to psychology, and um, I enrolled. And it took me a lot longer to study than the average because you know when you have an exam, and then my agency calls me and says, "Oh, there's a shoot, and it's in you know Spain on the beach, and this is the money. Like, do you want to take an exam, or do you want to do the shooting?" I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so instead uh, of so, you know the four to five years that it took um, to do your masters, I, I took um, eight and a half. Um, but finally, um, I, I made my way and I, I've never looked back. And I think one of the reasons that I am here and have this quite unique approach to mental health is because I was in such a different area for so long that has a different mindset. And it, when two unlikely fields get together, it just kind of like forces you to think outside of the box.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's so, so true when something kind of alchemizes that you just weren't expecting at all. It's really great. So, I mean, your own mental health journey, um, what has that been for you? Is that something you've personally struggled with in the past in your own way? Are you able to sort of share some of your own story around that side of things?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think um, the first one is is quite humbling and a bit funny too, because when you study psychology, you have to do um, 30 hours of what's called um, self- um discovery right and it's it's therapy but it's just called self-discovery and I go in there I'm all cocky and you know I'm a psychology student I know myself I'm fine three sessions in I'm sitting on the couch like in tears discussing things that I hadn't even realized had had a huge impact on my life in a non-beneficial way so I really soaked in those um those 30 hours and Coincidentally, at the time, I was also going through the worst breakup of my life, and it gave me the tools to kind of use it as an opportunity to grow. And ever since, whenever I hit like a life-challenging block, the first thing I do is, okay, I'm going to find a new therapist. Um, I couldn't keep the same one because I was traveling. I moved from Munich to London, for example. And, you know, just dip my toe back into psychology, uh, to therapy. So I think... Pretty much for the rest of my life, there will be phases where I'll be in and out of therapy or supervision, depending on like where life takes me. And knowing that that is there and a resource I can tap into is extremely safe. And also gives me a lot of um, reassurance that I can do pretty much whatever I set my mind to in a healthy way because I have that resource.
0: Yeah, so that's amazing. And it's so true. I think it's, it's such an important thing for people to now realize in this time, particularly that, you know, getting help is the best thing you can do. And it's not something to ever be ashamed of, it should be, our mental health should be looked after in the same way we look after our bodies as preventative as much as cure. But people (laughs) really seem to think we have to hit rock bottom before they get any help with their mental health, which is a huge, huge problem. I mean, Right now, for example, obviously, we are going through a very... We're both in London, so we're both still locked down in a yeah. very mentally challenging time for people. Um, what would you say is the main challenge you've kind of seen in this time for people that has been struggling with and what they can sort of do for themselves to help themselves at this time?
1: Well, I think the, the things that come up a lot is... Also, the different challenges that people face in the same situation. For example, um, mental health of women has dipped substantially lower than of men. And it's often women with careers and toddlers, for example, or children, and they just, you know, go home and take up multiple loads, which the men often don't do. Um, We're seeing a lot of opposite examples, and, you know, that's always beautiful, but You know, not everybody is, you know, (laughs) taking part in helping women's mental health and resilience um, uh, stay strong. Um, But I guess there is a huge uncertainty, both about, you know, the actual physical danger that comes with COVID, not just for yourself, but for a loved one. And then the second uncertainty is economic. So many people lost their jobs. They're struggling uh, with paying their rent. Um, they, their, their life has been interrupted, you know, so how many people haven't been able to get married or, um, like I didn't have a baby shower. Um, my, my mom's never seen my kids, you know, um, or uh, yeah, uh, you know, celebrate finishing school, all these things like these major life steps have just been taken away. And, um, I, I think that's a a huge struggle as well. But it's also an opportunity to kind of like sit back and say, okay, I need um, to focus on growing skills that I don't have or didn't think I would need. But now I clearly need and and use this opportunity as a challenge to grow. And because mental health is being talked about everywhere and there's free resources everywhere and people are really, you know, um, going out there and donating their time for psychological webinars free therapy and things like that that now or never right this is this is a great opportunity to to work on one's mental health yeah I totally
0: agree I think (laughs) the amount of response people have seen with you know different therapists and coaches and all sorts coming forward and just giving free resources online has it's been amazing yeah it's really interesting that you say there's the dip in women's mental health because obviously as Mm -hmm. we know men's mental health has been the almost larger issue I won't say but you know statistically men under the age of 50 or 55 the largest death cause for them is suicide which is just horrific and crazy I mean mm-hmm. if I had a pound for every you know male client who'd said to me before you know I used to think that people who talked about this was weak and now I just see that it's really actually a great thing to talk about I mean, what do you think on the whole sort of stigma side versus men versus women? Do you think that there's still that huge gap in that men really struggle to even address mental health at all?
1: Um, yeah, I think um, that that's going to be probably another half a generation, at least because we come with our so- socializations and um, the baggage of that generation, the way men were taught about emotions or not taught about emotions (laughs) and um, vulnerability and role models. And then of course, you know, you have, um, you have this people saying, okay, we want our men to be vulnerable and open up and talk about mental health. But at the same time, if they do, they usually lose standings. They can lose their jobs they lose their partners and everything. So there is, it isn't safe yet fully to to be open and vulnerable about your mental health. So until we can make sure that the people who are coming out, the men who are coming out and speaking about that will not be punished for that, then um, we'll still be dealing with stigma. But I I do think that kind of like in safe spaces in in bubbles and chats in um, groups that there are becoming larger safe spaces for men to actually um, um, overcome the stigma and be outspoken and feel comfortable in talking about themselves as long as it's still a, a bubble.
0: Yeah I totally agree with that with the generational you know thing of how men have been brought up to be that sort of stiff upper lip don't talk about emotions I'm the man you know I had that with my dad very sadly he was very depressed in his final years and he just didn't believe in getting help you know even after his daughter died he was like no this is for me to kind of like mull over and it's Awful to see because it's just that generational thing, but it's also now within this generation that men, like you stay still don't feel, and women as well, in general, mental health, people still don't think is a sort of safe space to fully, you know, bare their soul. What do you think Then, yeah. you know, we can sort of do to change that and make it a safe space as a society?
1: Um, I, I think we, we have to lead by example. Yeah, we really do. We have to put ourselves out there. We have to talk about our journey. And I mean, I think my own little struggle is that as a psychologist, I have a very high standard of myself and um, how stable and well adjusted I need to be because I'm a psychologist. And then when I do have mental health dips, then I, I feel like not sharing it because of that picture I have about myself. Right. So being able to go out there and say, yes, you know, I, I had to struggle with postpartum anxiety and I had to work on it or something like that, even though I'm a psychologist, right. Is, is something that will pave the way for other people after they've heard that and and understand that no matter how strong, how accomplished, um, how educated you are, and you can still experience um, mental health issues or mental illness and um, it's okay because you can see that these people are so successful and so happy and still so, you know are, are joyful in their lives
0: yeah I think that's that's and such an amazing point to say I sometimes think that you know and I'm having um a day and I'm like oh can I share that because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, it's yeah. one of those things it's uh it's so true you kind of put yourself at a higher higher standard again to be mentally resilient but the reality is is that everyone like you say is human and we have our bad days and our bad months and you know whatever those periods are and I think everyone just needs to be more compassionate and empathetic to firstly themselves but also each other Mm -hmm. and understand I mean postpartum anxiety what was that experience for you I've never actually had anyone on the show who's brought that up and it's a really interesting interesting topic because I know it's something that so many women
1: struggle with but again it's not really talked about (laughs) yeah it was really weird because um, I'm kind of like having these symptoms, and it took quite a while before I realized like, I think that that's anxiety. Like, okay, I have this symptom, I have that symptom, I have this symptom, I have that symptom. Let's just go through, for example heightened irritability, um, not ability to focus, um, not being able to sleep, um, consuming worry, fidgetiness, um, right? And, and I thinking about it, like, wait a minute, <laughs> That's so, that sounds familiar, right? Like, wait <laughs> I mean, Okay, this is what anxiety feels like. And in a way, I was happy that it happened because when I speak to a, a client or with the people that use them, I know what it feels like now. So there's so much you can learn about an issue. Sometimes when you have felt it or experienced it firsthand, it just gives you a different Mm, a different uh, know-how to, to talk about it, I guess, right? And um, so I think the most, um, the most, uh, it was it was low level in comparison to what people can go through. But the thing I was thinking of is, first of all, this is very unpleasant and I don't like it and I don't want to experience it. And the second thing was that this will have an effect on my kids, right? If, mm-hmm. if I am an anxious person, Suffering and struggling with anxiety, my kids will pick pick up on it. And I have one goal in life that I will work on with all my power is to allow my children to develop their personalities to become who their potential is without me burdening them with my own trauma and issues. I know it's impossible, but I'm you know, I'm gonna give it my all. And so that was like, I need to make sure that because babies are little sponges of emotions and everything, right? They will feel it and they will react to it. And I, and I don't want that. So that's the main reason why I said, okay, let's, let's go on and and fight this or or deal with it in a healthy way.
0: I think that's so wonderful. Yes. It's so, so true. I mean, the amount of, people you know it's that expression is it hurt people hurt people and the amount of parents yeah. that have unresolved traumas that yeah. they haven't dealt with that they've just pushed onto their kids unwillingly and the trauma train just carries on and carries on and it's yeah. it's yeah. it's crazy so I think, I think that's such a wonderful wonderful thing it must have been something again that also almost motivated you to help yourself yeah. to get out of that which is so powerful yeah that's amazing yeah. I, yeah. I'd love to talk to you about you know, your app and AI yes. and mental health because I find this so interesting. So, I mean, how did you – could you tell us a little bit about the app to start with because it's a gaming app, isn't it, <laughs> to help with depression yes. and all these things, which is very cool. So how does it kind of help people in that aspect?
1: Okay, so if, if I can take a tiny little step back to why I developed a mental health game, right? <laughs> so um, I was working in the NHS um, – called NELFT, and it's eating and mood disorders for young adults anywhere between like uh, 16 and 28. And when you study psychology, you learn all about symptoms and diagnostics and diagnosis and treatment, but you don't learn about the healthcare system, right? So when I was there and I saw that people had been on a wait list for six months or longer for six sessions of CBT, which is about a third of the recommended time to have a, you know cognitive behavioral therapy I was just like, wow. And um, recently, uh, Professor Fonagi from UCL said that um, if every psychologist in the UK worked 50 hours a week with no lunch, we could only take care of 12% of the population that actually wants and needs mental health care. Wow. There isn't enough help as, as from a psychological face-to-face standpoint. And there was a lot of research emerging. This was like in 2016, that web-based interventions were as effective as face-to-face therapies or pharmaceuticals, obviously no side effects, right? So that you can't, I can't scale as a person, but I could create something that is scalable. And people are moving away from desktop towards mobile. So what happens if I made a mobile product that um, treated mental illness? And so um, I developed an app, so in the app stores, um, it was for depression, anxiety. And we could prove that using it over four weeks, significantly lowered depression, anxiety levels up to the level of a beta blocker. And I was like, yeah, it can go save the world from depression and anxiety for like $9.99 a month or something like that. Well, the world did not want to be saved that way. People dropped off like crazy. And what I didn't know at the time is that mental health apps, have the highest drop-off rates you can imagine. So on average, people spend two minutes on any mental health app and then they delete it, right? So that is not long enough to have an impact. And if you think of it, it makes a lot of sense that the main motivator for people to go to therapy other than being in pain is to see their therapist. So it's the relationship that they have with their therapist, right? If you take that away and you make your typical um, mental health product, you have a self-help book that's been digitalized pretty much right if you're too depressed to get up and take a shower the last thing you're going to do is go work on your cbt journal or your gratitude diary or something like that right so looking at the audience that i am interested in young adults with all their life changes and challenges and that's usually when a mental illness is manifest i was saying okay what do they like doing it and 70 percent of them are casual gamers There's a lot of research that says that gaming casually is good for your mental health. So I thought, okay, okay, you know what? We're going to become the vitamin gummy bears of the mental health space. We're going to smuggle the health, the mental health into a game so that people are having fun, they're enjoying themselves while working on their mental health. So when you go into download EQ, the emotional fitness game, you sign up, you are introduced to the lore, the story of, of the game. And the story is that like all the evil corruption, greed in the world has actually gelled to being. And this being is going around and snuffing out people's light, you know, inner joy. And there's a small group of brave people who have set on a path of psychological transformation to bring the light back into their lives. And subsequently everyone that they touch. Because if you're happy and you're glowing, then it will spread the light. And so you design your avatar and then you get sent on quests. And it's written by a Marvel and DC comic writer and um, beautifully um, animated. If I'm, isop- Obviously, I'm super biased because <laughs> of my product. <laughs> but for e- each level, you learn uh, one or more psychological skills. And they're based on cognitive behavioral therapy, positive psychology and systemic um, therapy. And there are what we like to say, low hanging fruit. So things that are super relevant to everyone going from, um, prevention. So people who are in a vulnerable situation or just want to work on personal growth up to people who are experiencing first levels of depression, and anxiety. These are skills, for example, um, questioning your beliefs, right? So if you, if you believe that you're unlikable, it, it, teaches you to challenge those thoughts and, and look for um for uh what do you say proof that that's not the case generalization catastrophizing emotional bits all these things are very very typical for depression anxiety but also are really relevant for personal growth because they hinder you on your personal development once you've learned the psychological skill you then embark on the adventure the choose your own adventure story part of the, the game and you meet all these characters and they challenge you along the way. And you have to learn, use your psychological skills to be able to level up and collect gems that belong to um, the, um, or gem shards that belong to the five dimensions, five psychological dimensions of the game and on your way, become a brighter and brighter person and more of a lodestar. And the, the game is 52 weeks. So it's, it's a year year long right and not obviously not everybody's gonna make it but at the end you become a lodestar, star and you become then the guide for someone else right so you 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 you've gone through this journey and now you can decide to bring light by introducing people and helping people along the way so that's the story that's so
0: beautiful i love that concept and it's it's so true it's like you say everyone needs that you know guidance and helping hand in whatever form it is for mental health so it's it's really great you know, spin to put on the game. How did you decide on the, what, you know, psychological concepts needed to be in that?
1: Um, I had a workshop with um, a few psychologists, accredited psychologists, and kind of the leading CBT teacher in the UK. And we just went through kind of like all the therapeutic skills that people learn we, we made a huge list of, with them. Then we kind of assigned them to our five psychological dimensions in the game, which are anti-depression, anti-anxiety, pro-resilience, pro-personal growth, and pro-relationship um, skills. Those are our five dimensions. We kind of like put them, okay, generalization is, for example, very typical for um, anxiety. So we assign that to anxiety. Emotional is obviously relationships in Scotman Institute and things like that. And then we said, okay, which ones are the ones that are the easiest to learn and the ones that people do the most? And then we kind of chose the the 52 uh, most prevalent and most important psychological skills. Amazing. I love that. So, uh,
0: talking though, like about technology and mental health, I mean, those are two things that a lot of people polarize now due to, you know, the stigma of being on our phones all the time and no one's present and we spend too much time on our laptops and this and that. And social media, particularly, has obviously, we've seen how it affects negatively people's health from mental health from sort of just comparing themselves to others and feeling all that Mm -hmm. that difference and you know it's had a massive impact especially on younger generation so I mean how did you sort of what do you think can be done to negative about the negative connotations to tech and mental health? Because you obviously have developed something that is totally positive towards mental health, and that's so fantastic. I mean, how do you think we can sort of educate people on the line between the two of what's good for
1: them to, with tech and their mental health and what's, what's not? I guess there are three things that come to play. First one is that we actually have a weekly lock which means that once you've played a level, the game is locked until the next week, which Mm. prohibits any addictive playing patterns. The second one is that most of the change doesn't actually happen in your therapy sessions, it happens in between sessions when you practice it. And 82% of our players say that they actually implement the skills that they learn in the game within a week. And I think that's why our retention numbers are so high because they go out, they test something go, holy smokes, If this one skill has such an effect, what else can I learn? And then they come back, right? Um, And then third, I think we need to catch our audience where they are, right? And there is a lot of evidence that shows, like I said, that gaming casual is good for your mental health and that casually using social media is not going to be hurtful if you're not, you know, if there aren't some underlying issues, but like half an hour a day of scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or something like that is not probably not going to hurt you. Right. So it's all about balance and the amount of time that you spend. And at the end of the day, if someone's playing EQ on their way home from work, instead of popping bubbles or going on TikTok, that, that's a huge win. Right. De- definitely
0: so, so true it's so true I think it's such a cool concept I definitely I want to check it out for sure I think it's thank you um, please do and leave us amazing. a
1: good review yes
0: I will well so, okay I mean EQ is obviously artificial intelligence and there's obviously the other side to mental health which is also our emotional intelligence so how do you kind of see the way artificial intelligence is increasing emotional intelligence because again that's something that people I guess worry might take away our emotional intelligence not within your app at all but in the general field of it all so to speak
1: yeah um well I think um AI and machine learning has been hyped years ahead of itself right so when people say AI the probability that's real AI is like almost non-existent there are very very few AIs out there In psychology, the AIs that are out there, as far as I know, are just very structured decision trees or low-level machine learning, right? So I think we're still um, a little ways ahead of the AI uprising. (laughs) (laughs) And so far, the AI that has been using predominantly is actually doing this, for example, with diagnostics. So um, the... um, uh, digital diagnostic tools are almost better than people in diagnosing and predicting um, diagnosis. And so it's, they, they can't work standalone, but they work beautifully with a person together, for example, and that will help people so much. The way we are using it predominantly and um, it's like I said, it's not proper AI, but we're, we'll get there, you know, just have, have patience <laughs> right now. Mostly all of the mental health products, digital mental health products, and even the most therapy sessions are what we call a black box, right? Person goes in there, something happens, and they come out and they're cured or they're not cured or something like that. We know it has an effect and we've measured the effect in our clinical trial, but we do not know what does what in the app, right? And so one of the things that we're doing in the new version of our product is we have a dynamic chatbot that asks clinical questionnaires in a random place, a random sequence, which allows us to gather information about each feature. So we are doing micro-randomized control trials that allows us to say, okay, let's say we teach generalization on level three. Now the anxiety goes down significantly by 0.4% more than if we put catastrophizing. So then we, we exchange it and the effect of the game goes up. And then we know, okay, This is a really strong feature. This needs to be kicked out. This does this. And we will actually know what the game does. And the second step is then to say, okay, all the data, I'm just putting it in a big pot, and I'm going to let the algorithm look for patterns and structures. And maybe we'll find things like men between 24 and 26 are most likely to get in an accident at 4 p.m., right? And there's something that we wouldn't have thought of looking at ourselves, but it actually makes sense because you're coming home from a long day of work. You might be anxious or tired or something, and then you go into traffic, you make decisions, and boom, you have your accident, right? And then if they do EQ, or they do a mindfulness exercise, or they do a breathing exercise, or they work with CBT, the, the probability that they'll have an accident goes down by 0.9 or something like that. And all of a sudden, you saved a lot of lives. And this is you know, cluster and, and um, pattern recognition, which will help us a lot in the future. That's really fascinating,
0: isn't it? I mean, what kind of patterns have you, yeah. what other patterns have you seen in, you know, various groups and, you know, ages and all genders and with mental health? Is there anything that's really stood out for you?
1: Yes. Um, so unfortunately, the same patterns that I mentioned at the beginning of um, our um, talk, emerge is that women are doing way less well, um, during COVID or at least in, in, in the last couple of weeks. Um, so they're, they're significantly more depressed, less resilient, um, more anxious. Um, they have better relationship skills usually, but are, have less personal growth skills. And, um, that, that is a problem. And, I think there's a lot of information that we have that we can hypothesize about, but we need to make sure that we actually interpret them right. So um, sometimes, for example, after a couple of weeks, the depression numbers go up and, but then you look and you see, okay, all these people dropped off and now it's only women left, right? So if it's only women and they were more depressant to begin with, and of course the mean depression score will go up mm. um, and, and, and things like that. And that women over time are more likely to benefit from resilience training than men and it could be because they started out at a lower percentage but it could be that these skills are kind of like a survival skill that speaks strongly to women so there's to be absolutely honest, there's a lot more questions popping up through the data that we get than answers. <laughs> so like for every I'm like, okay, one day when I'm rich, I'm going to hire a lot of research assistants and just go, okay, you take this problem, you take this problem, you take this problem. <laughs> it
0: must be uh, like endless to try and work it all out for people. But I mean, talking about women, I find that really interesting and, and sad. And um, it's, it's definitely, I mean, actually, I was talking about a concept the other day on a podcast that I'm actually going to do a workshop on, which I call Superwoman Syndrome, ah. which <laughs> which now I feel like as incredible as it is, which is amazing that women now have the opportunities over here and in the West to do and be almost, well, basically anything they want to be and do, they also now have this huge standard where the pressure, where they feel they have to do and be everything and be an amazing mom and be an amazing wife or partner and look a certain way and have mm-hmm. an amazing job. And, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's pressure, that <laughs> you're agreeing, <laughs> whether it's pressure they are put on themselves or pressure that's put outside onto them. Yeah. It's definitely, I think, really contributing to people's mental health as well and their yeah. emotional health. I mean, what yeah. do
1: you think about that? Um, I think two years ago, I went to the Europa Awards and there was a very prominent female tech celebrity person, almost you could say. She's gorgeous. She's famous. She's like done two or three startups. And she was on stage moderating, holding her newborn. (laughs) And I'm like, thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're like 35, you know, have already exited your third startup. You're gorgeous, and you, you know, you have your sleeping newborn on stage when you're moderating. Like, so of course, okay. it's not crying. <laughs> <I'm> not crying. <laughs> it's snoozing happily. Like I wouldn't have been surprised if she would have breastfed him on stage. And we're just like, okay, <laughs> puny human here. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really know any way around that. The standards are growing and growing and, um, like, uh, social media isn't helping because of course you get all the highlight reels, right? You don't get all those times where you, excuse my French look like shit and haven't taken a shower in two weeks. <laughs>
0: exactly. It's like this over highlighted over sort of fluffed life yes. of everyone's on there. And I think yes. it definitely yes. adds again to that pressure for women because yeah. obviously there's pressure for men in in various ways in different ways but I think the pressure for women in multiple ways at the moment is higher and that's something that I think needs more compassion from yeah a lot of angles
1: (laughs) and and all, all the women that I speak to who have children are extremely torn between you know being a mother and being um a worker or having a career and you cannot win. And if you're extremely lucky and blessed, like myself and find a balance where you're just exactly there and you're working enough to feel fulfilled, but not too much to not be able to parent, then you're screwed, right? Either you're going to lose your career that you've worked for the last 20 years, or uh, you're, you're going to, you know, always feel guilty and miss your children. There's, there's nothing. It's just not fair. <laughs> I know. I know why there aren't so many female CEOs, right? It's just, you know, woman is not easy. <laughs> it's, it's not.
0: It's not easy. And I think, you know, as incredible as it is, you know, with men can be, uh, you know, amazing dads and be very involved. And that eventually, if a woman and a man are both working in a relationship, then that maternal instinct is always going to fall harder on the woman. And so they will feel, like you said, having a kid, you know, that, that, you know, need and want to actually just go that extra mile and just definitely be there for your kids and try and balance your work at the same time. Yeah. Uh, It's a minefield.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, connection. Obviously, that's all you know. Part of our human connection and dealing with all these things. Um, spirituality is a practice that I think brings balance. When you mentioned the word balance before into people's lives, and I always ask this question on the podcast because I think it means something different to everyone. But what does spirituality personally mean to you?
1: I think you you said the, the keyword just a few seconds earlier, which is connectivity or connection, and I think. Spirituality for me is recognizing and experiencing the connection. Mm. Right. I think one of the major reasons for human mental pain is the disconnect to themselves and to others and to life and nature. You sound like a hippie, but if if you know everything you experience is artificially through the lens of you being individual. Then you're going to be cut off, and and you're you're going to feel alone and lonely, and you try to stuff those holes with anything else that you know everybody's advertising it to us all the time. So I think working actively to seeing the connection and experiencing it because there's a difference between knowing that we're connecting and feeling it, right? Mm. And I think s- some exercises. It it's, sounds stupid until you do it, and you can actually feel the effect that things like gratitude or kindness or acts of service are extremely powerful because they allow you to feel that connection, right? So I've been practicing gratitude for so long that I go down the road and, you know, the trees blossoming and I get so excited about it. Like, oh, look at all these flowers. It's a cherry tree. It's happy so beautiful. Ah! <laughs> so do I. <laughs> right? And, and that's, that's some free dopamine right there that, you know is is um invaluable
0: yeah it's so true i love the way you put that as well i think the whole connectedness just being open to that connection and like you say you know relying solely on ourselves i mean that's impossible for anyone. We're not built as humans. We're built no. as, you know, tribes yeah. and we're built as, you know, yeah. connected yeah. beings. So just yeah. to rely on yourself in any way, whether it's spiritual or just in the human realm, it's just yeah. very, very hard. So I love that. Putting putting something outside of yourself. I think that's, that's great.
1: What does spirituality mean
0: for you? For me, it means, it means a greater connection to myself and a greater connection to something outside of myself. So holding on to finding a deeper connection in a space in time every single day whether it's like a deeper breath myself mm-hmm. a moment of stillness or some you know magical moment of synchronicity that you just think wow okay that was too too good to be a coincidence <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> I think good. when you open up to those things it's it then it all starts to come in in ways you didn't really expect I think we just have to open the door slightly and then you get surprised at what what experiences can come in and what connectedness Mm -hmm. you can have. Mm -hmm. So I love it because I love asking people because everyone has a different answer, but also there's a thread, a common thread within the answers. And it's usually that connectedness, like you say, and it's, um, Mm -hmm. it's really, it's really beautiful. So, I mean, to finish, it's been so wonderful talking to you and I've just loved this conversation. It's so interesting talking about, you know, tech and AI and mental health and just uh, all everything you said But if there's one, do you have a sort of mantra or intention or quote that sets you on your track that keeps you motivated? What is something that kind of keeps you going that comes to mind if you ever need that sort of extra push?
1: To to be absolutely honest, um, I think um, I have a subconscious. It's not super on the top of my tongue or it's not super um, elaborate, but the, the, the search of joy Um, is probably it and um, I I distinguish between happiness which I consider by definition is something external and joy is something internal so um, I'll keep on doing what I do as long as it brings me joy and as soon as that changes I will have to either say okay my my attitude has changed and I need to work on my attitude for for example something I can't change like parenting Um, or I have to change what I'm doing so everything that I do needs to bring me joy. I love that. I, guess. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so true
0: because these little simple things that we think of have the biggest impact, you know, just making a choice like you say that. And if something's not bringing me joy, then why,
1: am I, why doing doing am I doing that? Yeah. Yeah. But don't forget that I am extremely privileged to be able to say that, right? Because there are so many people that are just surviving, that do not have that chance. And I'm painfully aware of that. Yeah.
0: But I think it's really interesting, like you say, joy is internal and happiness Mm -hmm. is external. I've never, I've never heard that put like that before. And I think that's, that's a really just interesting perspective for people to think about, like, how can you bring some joy internally to yourself today in Mm -hmm. the smallest way?
1: Mm -hmm. There's a lot of research on happiness that shows that external happiness, like winning the lottery or buying a house or pair of shoes, or you name it, um, is, is a peak and then goes back down. And sometimes it actually goes, the happiness goes lower than it was before. Um, so it's, it's, um, happiness is fickle. And I mean, I don't get, I I do not, not get all excited about things like shoes like I haven't had a pair of shoes in ages thanks to COVID but you know I will be very excited about my first pair that I buy afterwards but at the end of the day um I I think because I I don't attach more meaning to it it, it's healthy yeah I love that so to finish then what does
0: happiness mean to you personally
1: um joy (laughs) joy for me um means um to be able to experience that clear, profound, joyous moment over and over again and to welcome it and to, to search for it in a, not pursuit of happiness, but to allow it to, to happen and to, to see it in the small things and allow it to happen in the small things. Yeah, I love that always in the small things the best yeah. way
0: well, thank you so much Siliha. it's been amazing to have you on and thank you for taking the time
1: it was my pleasure and um, it was great talking to you thank you so much for inviting me you're so welcome
0: i hope you enjoyed today's episode with the wonderful celia if you did enjoy the episode then do let us know tag us on social media share it with someone you love or send us a DM we would love to hear from you next week I'm joined by the wonderful Forking Wellness Girls talking all things nutrition health food and in between so stay tuned and I hope you enjoy